Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. This last week, the Mail on Sunday reported that Simon Cowell, he of the X Factor and Britain's Got Talent fame, has allegedly decided to make a sudden career change. A source told the newspaper that Simon doesn't want to be in the limelight anymore. A friend said that he's gone from wanting to be famous to hating it. And then the sad passing of singer Sinead O'Connor has brought the subject of fame to the headlines as well. Talking some years ago about her rise to fame, she said, In one way, I loved it. Obviously, I was a very young woman and you kind of fantasize about being famous. But in another way, I was frightened by it. Now, that's interesting because for many, the idea of being famous is something that they would aspire to. An example of the hunger for fame might be found in the desperate need that many people, especially young people, have for followers on social media. And in the entertainment and media world, these days we have people who are famous, not because they have any discernible talent, but just because they are, well, famous. So what's all of this got to do with us? Well, in the church, we often have debates about so-called celebrity Christians, worship leaders or Bible teachers who are well-known, and because they're high profile, some endure criticism just because of their influence. Now, let's be very clear. Whenever a Christian leader acts like a celebrity, we've got a very real problem because we're all called to be servants, not superstars. But tonight, I'd like us to stop and think about the hunger that there is for fame and then decide who the real superstars are. Here's the found with Even Still. The two women were very angry. Hatred blazed wildly from their eyes. Obscenities and profanities came screaming from their lips, lurid, jagged missiles of spite. They have to be restrained now by bigger, burlier minders as they kick and scream and scratch and bite. They were on a mission to destroy each other in the very public weekly bloodletting that once was the Jerry Springer show. At the end of the show, Jerry, the grand ringmaster of this voyeuristic circus, would spend a minute or two delivering a little homily that exhorted people to be nice to each other. His saccharine message at the end of another round of relational destruction, frankly, was a sickeningly pious moment. It's like putting thought for the day at the end of the gladiatorial games. There was blood on the floor, relationships smashed forever to smithereens, and marriages doomed. And the hapless guests did it all for one brief moment of fame. The tragic Princess Diana died because of fame, hounded by the pack. Hello magazine gives us blow-by-blow details of so-called celebrity lives and is more than able to pay a movie star a million or two for their wedding snaps. Such is our illogical hunger for a glimpse of the famous. And now we seem to live in the era of the docu-soap, the primetime transmission of the tedious. We're desperate to know just what an airport check-in person does. We are captivated by the daily schedule of a window cleaner. Ours is a culture that surely needs to get out more. This evening, let's reflect on a challenging truth for all of us in the church. 
The reality is that fame is something that Christian leaders can be quickly drawn by, perhaps with an even greater pull. Surely the icons of our culture know that our interest in their clothing, their affairs, and their taste in food is a superficial thing, entertainment to distract us in our boredom. But the Christian leader is applauded for his or her spirituality. They are considered worthy icons to speak on matters of life and faith. They have the power to truly affect our lives. Fame crouches, waiting to bite at their heels as they preach another sermon on servanthood. We even have spiritual words for fame, profile, influence, broad effectiveness. The Christian world is relatively small, and the well-known are but larger goldfish in a tiny bowl. But fame can still be a temptation. Perhaps that's why Jesus teaches all of us to do our giving and most of our praying in private. The Pharisees that he challenged they would quite literally blow trumpets to announce that they were going to drop a few coins in the offering. The desire to be known, and particularly known for our piety, is no new temptation, and again, not just for Christian leaders. It can bite all of us. Personally, I've had a couple of conversations with God about fame. Both were at Spring Harvest, that event that still gathers thousands together annually. For a number of years, it had been my privilege to be involved in the youth program of the event. It was my conviction then, and it still is now, that the best communicators at Christian conferences are often found in the youth program. It's one thing to stand up and wax eloquent to 5,000 keen people in an adult setting. They are there because they want to hear what you've got to say. It's quite another matter to hold the attention of a thousand teenagers, some of whom resent the fact that their fanatical Christian parents have dragged them off to this Christian jamboree anyway. I'm so grateful for the time that I spent working as a youth communicator, and I didn't view becoming involved in communicating with the adults as some kind of step up the evangelical ladder. But I was struggling with a couple of issues. For one, I was getting older and there was a desperate need for more seasoned preachers like me to stand aside to let newer youth communicators come through. But I also had a sense that God had given me some things to say that might need a wider audience, and I remember feeling frustrated, tagged back then as someone who could only have any relevance to young people. I went on an angry stroll, and I had a good moan at God about my feelings. But it was as if a voice inside me, one that I'd learned to recognize, it asked me a very searching question. Do you want to step on a platform that I have not prepared and lit for you? I knew it was God challenging me about me pushing me, bidding me to wait for his timing rather than grasp for an opportunity. I answered that no, I didn't want to do that at all. Peace came. A number of years later, God decided to throw the light switch into that wider area of ministry, and I began to contribute into the adult program of Spring Harvest. I remember speaking one evening in the Big Top, and it went well. Actually, it went very well. The content seemed to hit the mark, the presentation flowed, and the crowd obligingly laughed at the funny stories. It was, as they say, a result. The next day, I strolled towards the team lounge for my morning dose of caffeine and began to notice that I was being noticed. 
People nudged each other as I walked by. Some smiled and said, good morning, and others whispered, it's him, you know, last night. I downed my coffee and wandered over to the bookshop. I had a few minutes to spare and planned a quiet, leisurely browse. But as I walked into the book area, I had to pass the booth where cassette recordings, do you remember those? Recordings of all the meetings were being sold, and a large sign was hanging up which said, Jeff Lucas, Big Top, last night, available here. Quite a number of people had gathered under the sign and were apparently ordering copies of my sermon. I am embarrassed to confess that I headed out struggling with a rising feeling of self-congratulation. And then it happened. A guest blocked my pathway, waved a copy of one of my books under my nose, and asked me if I would mind signing it for them. I did. And for the rest of the day, I found myself unable to navigate my way around that site without being asked for my signature. At first, modesty insisted that I feel rather embarrassed about it. But before long, oh, this is awful to say, I found myself walking a little more slowly, just willing someone to pounce on me so that I could graciously bestow my signature upon them. It was getting to the point where I was feeling the need to have a pen in hand, ever at the ready, so that I could more conveniently bless the ever-increasing members of my adoring public. I was famous. Hooray. This was really rather pleasant. God has a way of puncturing our proud balloons in an instant, and I'm grateful that he exploded mine. Late in the afternoon, my right hand, somewhat aching from scrawling a series of kind messages, I heard that voice again, that voice of God in my heart. And this time he asked yet another question, exocet-like in its devastation, blowing my pathetic posturing and pride apart in a second. So, famous for a day, are we? Game, set, and match to God. I still sign books if people ask me to, and I'm enormously grateful and encouraged if someone tells me that something that I've said in print or preaching or broadcasting has been helpful to them in some way. But then let's look again for a moment at this Christian celebrity issue. To tag those whose faces are familiar as celebrities simply because they're well-known, I think it's a cheap stunt. Some Christian leaders are well-known because a number of people around the country or around the world have found their ministry, preaching, writing helpful. They have offered their lives to influence for the kingdom of God, just as anyone who serves Jesus does. As it turns out, because of the appreciation of the people of God, the blessing of God, or hopefully a combination of the two, they have become familiar faces, famous. People like to read their books and hear their Bible teaching. So what's so very wrong with that? It's too easy and perhaps gratifying to lob Christians whose names are well-known into a skip labelled celebrity. It lines them up with the PR-created airheads in our wider world whose only talent is grabbing at headlines. To be tagged celebrity implies that there is no real reason why certain voices are listened to and that the familiar name is a person without experience or substance. Being an unfamiliar name carries no intrinsic merits. And of course, there is the cycle of danger. As you profile someone's work, you risk the possibility that people might be interested in them or inspired by them, thus making them into potential celebrities. All of this said, 
I do think there's some merit in warning about Christian celebrity, and that should be to those who are privileged to have wider influence. They should not be condemned because of their profile, but they should certainly be held accountable for their attitude. When a Christian speaker or worship leader starts to act like a big fish in the tiny goldfish bowl, that is the Christian world, demanding special treatment, projecting a nauseating air of pomposity and self-importance, then it's time to speak up. But let's demand humility and servanthood from the well-known and not just throw bricks at them because they're well-known. Sometimes in the church, we're not too kind to each other. We snap at leaders because they fail when their churches don't grow or if their sermons are dull, and we snap at them because they bring a message that seems to help many because their churches do grow and because their preaching and teaching makes an impact. In the church, sometimes it feels that you just can't win, and there's something very wrong with that. Well, as I've said, the status of celebrity is the new rainbow's end that many seem to be chasing. It does sometimes appear that we have an entire culture lining up, eager to claim that allotted 15 minutes of fame that I mentioned earlier, a cult that is certainly force-fed to us by television. And the obsession with celebrity is actually nothing new. Americans of an earlier generation watched aghast as perfectly decent people publicly humiliated themselves for reality television groundbreaking programming like The Gong Show or The Dating Game, which served as the inspiration for our very own Blind Date. All seems rather tame now, doesn't it? But those who had never witnessed the Blind Date experience over which the lovely and late Scylla presided Blind Date enabled us to marvel at hapless contestants who would weakly thrill with their innuendo-ridden quips as they waited behind a screen, although many of those spontaneous comments, we are told, may well have been the dubious genius of scriptwriters who waited behind the scenes. We are apparently a people eager to be somebody, even if it means savaging our friends and partners before millions in order to get into that fleeting spotlight. The creator of the now curiously antiquated gong show remarked that contestants were willing to betray each other for the prize of a few seconds of fame and a free refrigerator, 30 pieces of silver reinvented. Of course, the problem with the celebrity obsession is that it's all quite simply a con. These people may stand in the glare of the lights, but they are basically ordinary folks who are required to deodorize their armpits and make use of toilet paper together with the rest of us. Their being so very special owes little to anything other than the well-oiled media and publicity machine that feeds the myth. But it is not that they are not special at all. That's too jaundiced and cynical a view. But rather, the reality is that we all are special, that is. It was C.S. Lewis who reminded us that there is no such thing as a mere mortal, There are no ordinary people. Everyone that you and I encounter daily is in fact a unique creation, a one-off compilation of stories and experiences of laughter and tears. There are no generic mass-produced factory outlet humans. All around us, there are truly incredible people who are not superhuman nor known by many, yet they are filled with courage and kindness and grace. And it is not only those who suffer 
that belong in our gallery of heroes. As people make that extra effort to pay it forward with love, to make decisions that are sacrificial and costly, we realize that the popular notion of celebrity is superficial and inadequate. Celebrities, true celebrities, are everywhere if the definition is reworked to include those over whom God celebrates. We are hemmed in by those who are true VIPs, these heroes in heaven's hall of fame. Believe it or not, one even stands before you when you look into the mirror. Look again. See you next time. Lucas on Life.